I really appreciate songs like that, where we are just reminding one another of the greatness of God. He is great, right? He is worthy to be praised. You know, there are some families that I, I have a little bit of jealousy of, actually, uh, because they, um, they, they, they have deep roots planted in a community. Uh, they, they live in the community where they graduated from high school. Their, their parents are in that area. And so they have this deep root of connection that, that the Moffat family just hasn't been able to have. Uh, we, uh, you know, I took this idea. I grew up in Wyoming. There's not a lot in Wyoming. Okay, sorry, Mom, if you're watching this. And, uh, and so I couldn't wait to get out. And I took that kind of mentality for years of my life. And I thought, okay, well, the next adventure is always going to be great. And so, so the Moffat family's moved around a little bit. Uh, we have lived in Wyoming and Colorado and Kentucky and Ontario and now in Ohio. And, and so, you know, we haven't gotten to have some of those roots that other people have. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that each place that we've lived in, I, I, I've come to appreciate different things that not everyone else always appreciates. So in Colorado, I appreciate the big open sky. Man, you could see forever. Uh, and then you see these beautiful mountains in the distance. That's going to be cold. Uh, we're going to see those later this summer. In Wyoming, I, I valued and appreciated how little traffic there was on the roads. Um, in Ohio, I've learned to really appreciate how big the trees are. The, the trees don't grow this big out west, okay? They just don't. Uh, some of the trees in my backyard are massive. I see them sway in the wind, and I'm like, oh, no. And yet, somehow, they still stand up. I'm not sure if you guys saw, actually, maybe this last week or the week before, down the road right here on Friendship, you guys know those houses with those giant row of trees that they all cut down this week. Do you guys see that? Oh, man. Well, there was one tree they missed, and it fell over. And, like, half of the earth, like, went up with it because the roots were so crazy. It looked like it took up half the yard with it. You know, it's interesting. The Christian life is described like a tree where its roots go down deep so that we are able to stand firm, so that we are not tossed back and forth by everything that happens in our lives, that we aren't led astray by, by things that are not the truth. The Christian life is described like a tree that has deep roots so that we would stand firm. And honestly, it's a little bit easier said than done, standing firm in the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns us this morning about those who did have not stood firm and actually calls us to stand firm and demonstrates how we can stand firm in our Christian life. So the question this morning for us is going to be, are we going to be people who stand firm in the Lord, or as the passage is going to say, or that others with tears will describe us as those who walk as enemies to the cross of Christ. Let's look at what Paul says together. We are in the book of Philippians, uh, going through this letter that Paul has written back to this church who has partnered with him in the advancement of the gospel since the beginning of his ministry. And Paul is imprisoned, and they had sent 
Epaphroditus, this messenger and supplier of their need for Paul to help. And Epaphroditus got sick along the way, but he's good now. Paul sends Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church with this letter, giving them an update on what's going on and how they should continue to live. And so Paul has called the Philippians to look to Christ as their righteousness for God. And then he's going to call us then to stand firm this morning. And remember our verse of this series that we've been working on, Philippians 1, 6. Let's say that together as we are studying it. Let's say it together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Mm, what a good hope that is. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have equipped us by your spirit and your word for everything that we need in the Christian life, for everything that we would need to stand firm. So Lord, would you work in us everything that is pleasing to you through Philippians this morning so that we too would stand firm. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me read. It's kind of a, a little bit of a chunk, but I want to read the whole thing, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 3. We're beginning in verse 17. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Philippians 3, where we're going to start in verse 17, and read through chapter 4, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The, the scripture that we're looking at is inside the bulletin in our sermon notes, and so, so you'll be able to follow along. Here, here's what it says. Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, there's certainly a lot there this morning. Let me give you a roadmap of where we're going, that we want you to walk away with this this morning, if nothing else. When others turn away, stand firm in the Lord by imitating the faithful and rejoicing in our certain future with Christ. When others turn away, stand firm in the Lord by imitating the faithful and rejoicing in our certain future with Christ. So we want to look at this call to stand firm. We're going to look at verses 17 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 3 of chapter 4. Right, so if you've been to one of our Friendship Baptist Church softball games this spring, there is one thing that you've realized. I am the mascot more than I am a player. I've never played on a softball team before. I'm not great at baseball. And so they stick me in right field. And rightly so. Uh, but so one thing I do is I watch how players on our team and on the other team, I watch how they stand. I watch how they approach the ball. I watch how they swing. And so I try to do what they do, because I, I can't. Uh, but it's interesting, I don't try to do that with everyone. <clears throat> uh, I'm doing that with those who are obviously well-versed in the game, like Austin, okay, he is. Uh, th that's essentially what Paul is calling the church at Philippi to do, to, to learn good techniques of following Christ from others. And in fact, it's not a mistake that Paul is saying this, because Paul bookends our passage this morning by discussing that very thing. In, in verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. But then the very end of our passage this morning, Paul says the same thing in chapter 4, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So imitating others is important for a lot of reasons. But, but one of the primary reasons is that when we look to others, like Paul, or, or like we saw last week, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, is, is because the, the call that Paul is giving is for believers is, is to stand firm in the Lord. So in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is essentially saying there is a danger for people to be swept away by the love of the world, and it's going to take something more than just me and Jesus to stand firm. And so this is one of those places in Scripture where the picture of the Christian life only makes sense, and it only works in the context of other believers modeling the Christian life for one another, where they are the picture of the Christian life. And so, so uh, if we are to stand firm, uh, Paul is essentially saying it's not going to happen by you having your blinders on and, and sipping your coffee in the morning and only opening your Bible without other believers around. That actually other believers that we can imitate and, and then be used that other people might imitate us in other ways. That is the means that God uses for his people to continue in the faith. And so the Christian life is one 
that is observable so that we can build one another up. In fact, Christianity, apart from discipling one another, doesn't work. It's actually dangerous. That's what Paul says in verses 18 to 20. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul is, with tears, telling people that others have walked away from the faith. Why with tears? Well, probably because they started off great. Paul cared about them. He'd invested in them. But, but at some point, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross became something foolish to their ears. The glorious news of the gospel at some point became boring or, or outdated or even foolish. The wonderful news of the gospel, friends, should never get old to us. It should be the joy of our morning, the joy of every morning, to think that the creator of the whole universe, God, has created us in his image to know him and be in relationship with him. But we, in our act of rebellion, have rebelled against God, have said, we don't want you, God, to have authority over us. We don't need you in our lives. We can do it just fine without you. And so we rebelled against God, what the Bible calls sin. And we have incurred death and judgment and separation from God for eternity. But God, instead of just destroying us and wiping us out and then starting again, instead did the most surprising and unthinkable thing. He sent his own son out of the glories of heaven down to earth to become human, to live a perfect life, and then to take our punishment as our substitute on the cross for us. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for the penalty of our sins so that we would not be enemies of God any longer, but in fact that we would become adopted into his family. And so Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, showing that he has defeated the power and penalty of sin. And so all who place our faith in Jesus, all who turn away from their sin and look to Jesus to pay their penalty, all those who do that are found forgiven. They're found redeemed. They're found to be part, adopted into the family of God. That wonderful news of the gospel should never get old to us for everyone who recognizes our sin and knows that we need a Savior. So friends, what a sober warning to us all. The Christian faith isn't displayed in what we did 30 years ago when we walked an aisle. It is displayed in the everyday decisions of what we will cherish in our hearts and what we will live out in our actions with you. The Christian faith is not displayed only in what we did 30 years ago. It is displayed in the very decisions every single day of what we are going to cherish inside our hearts and what we are going to live out in our actions every day. Paul cares for these now enemies of the cross of Christ. 
and he cares for them by being abundantly clear. Paul describes clearly their position. Instead of living out the values of the kingdom of God, their minds are set on things that won't last. They are competing against Jesus for priority in their lives. Their God is their desires, their pleasures. They celebrate the very things that are actually shameful before God, Paul writes. And Paul is pretty clear with the end result. They won't be joining God in glory, but destruction is their end. To abandon Christ, friends, that doesn't happen in an instant. It happens slowly over time, like a little bit of water trickling down, a little bit wearing itself out. Friends, I wonder, are there little compromises that you are making in your Christian life, even this week, that you wouldn't have been making six months ago or maybe even a year ago? Friends, beware of being pulled away to love things that will not last. Sin always takes us further than we realize. It always seems like it's harder to come back than we initially think. And sin always over-promises and under-delivers. You know, Israel is described like this very thing in, in Hosea 4. God says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me, and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. And so we see what happens. This, this transformation of rejecting Christ, of, of having ears that will not hear the word of God, that just doesn't wake up one morning and you get out of bed and you say, I'm just done with the Bible. No, that, that happens slowly in the decisions and priorities that we make. So friend, the, the call this morning, at least in part, is, is that if that describes you, come back to Christ. Pa Paul's warning should, should make us reflect and ask the question, does what he's right here, does what he write, does that describe me? If you grew up in church but, but might be loving things opposite than the kingdom of God, friends, hear Paul's warning. We say it with tears. Don't let your end be destruction. Instead, let your end be transformation and resurrection. That, that, that's promised in chapter 3, verse 20. Rejecting God by living just like the world. That, that doesn't show that you know Him. It isn't the, the fulfillment or acceptance that you're actually needing and wanting. The world will not support you in the way the body of Christ does. The world won't invest in you the way that our brothers and sisters do. Did you see how many people we prayed for this morning that, that taught children Sunday school? Oh, friends, those, that's an investment in the lives of people that, that they, they may never even see all that fruit. But it's investment even from the youngest of ages. It's not too late. Let us not one day say with tears, 
that you are walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Instead, let us say with full confidence, because we see the fruit in our lives, that Jesus is our life. That, that we display how great our God is. That there is no one like our God. It's not too late. We can come and find forgiveness at the cross. Notice how Paul, though, addresses the believers in, in verse 20. That first word, but, is such an important distinction, isn't it? Those who Paul is writing to, he's lumping together with him. But our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. In fact, our citizenship is displayed in our lives. Our citizenship is displayed as heavenly citizens that should be on display for how our desires play out. It sets our minds to heaven to be much earthly good. And this is a big deal for Paul to call these retired military families, not that they are citizens of Rome, not serving Caesar, but they are citizens of heaven, serving our Savior. Notice what heavenly citizenship gives us. Heavenly citizenship gives us a Savior, and not just any Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the one who Paul has already written earlier, the one that has the name above every name, and the one who subjects all things to himself. There's no higher power. There's no higher authority. There is no higher king. And Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, he is our Savior. And so our end won't be destruction, brothers and sisters, but our Savior comes with a promise that we will be transformed. Our lowly, fallen bodies will be transformed to be glorious bodies like Christ's glorious resurrected body. And so our citizenship in heaven reminds us on why we need to stay firm. It reminds us of the power of our Savior, and it calls us to look ahead at our heavenly citizen benefits. We don't need to live for what is temporary, for earthly things, when the eternal glories of heaven await for us in Christ. And so in order to stand firm, brothers and sisters, we must have our sights not on this world, but in our heavenly home and our exalted Savior. We must set our eyes on eternity and live each day as we await our Savior. So standing firm calls us to have our sights toward heaven and our Savior and to imitate those who walk as an example. But then there's a question that arises, isn't there, at the beginning of chapter 4. What happens when the leaders don't agree? That seems to be the issue in verse 2 with these two ladies, Eodia and Syntyche, the both who have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel and with others. Look, whatever, whatever the work they did do, it, it was noteworthy and it was significant enough that Paul mentions it. But, but then something happened and they became divided against each other. 
And so standing firm, brothers and sisters, includes standing together, side by side, not in opposition to each other. And so Paul calls them to agree in the Lord. Paul calls these leaders to unity together. And so to stand firm means that they can work together, not work in opposition of, but in conjunction with. Paul doesn't say that one has renounced the faith, so it's, so it's not an issue over the truth of the gospel. But make no mistake, for us to share a Savior, but not to be in agreement in the Lord, can become a gospel issue. If the power of the cross can reconcile us to the Father, then to reconcile with a brother or sister in the shadow of the cross is the expectation of Christian living. So for example, uh, uh, my kids play in USA Soccer League. And what's kind of cool about that is that they, they, they break it up in a little bit to where they have, you know, the Cambridge teams, but they have a number of new Concord teams also. And, and my first year, three years ago maybe, we were doing soccer, and I heard one of the parents on the sideline say this. I, I think it was brilliant. Uh, it was two new Concord teams playing each other, okay? And, the, and kids on the field were kind of getting riled up a little bit towards each other, and, 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 and this parent said this, hey, hey, guys, guess what? In three years, you're all playing together on the same team anyway. It's okay, okay? It, it's going to be all right. One day, we are actually going to become one team together. And so even though... Temporarily, it felt like they were different New Concord teams. They really were going to be one team. And that's what we are called to be also. That if the cross can reconcile us to the Father, then reconciliation with a brother or sister in the Lord in the shadow of the cross is the expectation of the Christian life. But friends, do you notice how Sometimes reconciliation requires a mediator. We don't know who this true companion was. Uh, maybe a pastor, maybe someone else. Uh, but they were ready and willing to help bring unity to the body by helping unity between these two gospel partner women. And so friends, there's something important that we cannot miss about reconciliation. If there is a brother or sister in the Lord here at Friendship Baptist Church that you don't like or don't get along with or can't agree with in the Lord for the sake of standing firm, for the sake of the gospel, friends, we need to agree and not be divided. Here again what, what Paul says in, in Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So friends, we see that ultimately the answer to our own relationship issues, and even ultimately to all of the issues in the world with problems, it begins actually with gospel reconciliation being forgiven to God and then to one another. And and notice, uh, just for for a moment, uh, how women have important places in the ministry. I think this is something that that needs to be said. Uh, We don't know what Paul is referring to specifically, but they labored side by side with Paul, uh, which means that there need to be women in ministry. And in case someone might hear otherwise, notice Paul's account of laboring side by side with these women. So when others turn away, stand firm in the Lord by imitating the faithful and rejoicing in our certain future with Christ. Let's look at the second part, verses 4 through 7 of chapter 4, this call to rejoice. Here's what Paul writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So because Paul has reminded the Philippian church of their citizenship in heaven, he then calls on them to rejoice over such wonderful news. Because the good news of Jesus is greater than the terrible circumstances of being in prison. The good news of Jesus is greater than the terrible circumstances of being killed or or other things that might happen with Paul. And the good news of Jesus is greater than even renouncing the faith that Jesus or that Paul warns us about here. Paul writes the same thing to the church in Romans chapter 5. He says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So grace through faith in Christ is better than works of the law from Philippians 3. And grace through faith in Christ is better than than temporary pleasures of this world that Paul has just said. Therefore, we ought to rejoice because no matter our circumstances, there are abundant reasons to rejoice. We don't always think there are, but we have more reasons to rejoice in the Lord than we actually have reasons to doubt or grumble or even to be anxious, brothers and sisters. Rejoicing in the Lord remembers what God has done. Rejoicing actually follows the very pattern of God himself who rejoices over his powerful works of salvation for us. At least that's what we see in in Zephaniah 3. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. Isn't that crazy? God himself rejoices at what he does. 
and so therefore we should choose. Because rejoicing reminds us of what God has done. Rejoicing reminds us that the Lord is at hand. He didn't just work 10 years ago. He didn't just work 30 years ago or, you know, thousands of years ago in the Bible. No, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at work right this very moment in our lives by His Spirit. And so when we remember that the Lord is at hand, well, we can actually fight anxiety. Being anxious often forgets that the Lord is at hand. Who, you know, that phrase, subjects all things to himself. Maybe one of the greatest ways to rejoice in the Lord actually is to pray. When you pray, we can list all the things that God is at work doing in our lives and in the lives of those in our family and others. In fact, anxiousness, anxiety is fought with prayer, with thanksgiving. Paul says in verse 6 of it. So anxiousness oftentimes is trying to control things that we cannot control, that are outside of our control. And the very things that God has control over. So friends, whatever things that you're anxious about this upcoming week, whatever things that you are anxious about this summer, that you don't know if it's going to come or how it's going to turn out, friends, God does. And he calls you to cast your burdens upon him with thanksgiving. To remember all the ways of the Lord is at hand. We are called to give the things that we're stressed about to God. And to leave them at his house. To put it in his mailbox. And not to take it back home with you. So how do we fight, fight anxiety? We continually are giving the things that we are stressed about over to God again and again and again and reminding our hearts and reminding our minds of God's goodness, reminding ourselves of His faithfulness, of His sovereignty, and of His work. So I'm not saying to do it one time and then just be done with it. No, oftentimes, at least if your anxiety is anything like mine, it takes 10 times or, or 50 times or more of praying the same thing, of reminding us of the same truth that we so often forget about God. We also fight anxiety together. Uh, that, that's part of why we gather together as a group of believers. That's part of the reason why we even sing songs to each other as much as we are singing them to God, right? How is someone supposed to navigate the tough road of a loved one dying or a broken engagement or a missed promotion or bankruptcy or job loss? Not with rose-colored glasses pretending like that stuff didn't happen, trying to suppress it down until one day it just explodes and bottles out. No, we fight anxiety together by pointing each other back to how the Lord is at hand. So that's why we, we think of things like Colossians chapter 3, where it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And so there's something about what we do when we gather together, as we sing truths of God and of Jesus and his work on the Christ and in the tomb, or sorry, Jesus' work on the cross, and in the tomb together, there's something that when we are singing these things together are actually meant to teach and admonish one another to remind us that the work of the Lord is still happening. We sing to each other. We're teaching each other. We're admonishing each other as we sing. We are reminding each other of the, great, the greatness and the faithfulness of God as we sing. So the songs that we sing sometimes are wordy, but it's for their usefulness in reminding each other of the faithful work of God. So even as we gather and, and help each other by singing the truths of God, we help people rejoice in the Lord. At least that's what was going on in my heart this morning when we were singing songs about the greatness of God, the splendor of the King. And the result, Paul says, the peace of God reigns and replaces anxiousness in our lives. The peace of God will guard our hearts because we know that God is at hand who subjects all things to himself. And so gathering together as a body, don't get me wrong, uh, watching the service online is kind of like a prosthetic leg, right? It's, it's good if we really need it, but it's not as good as the real thing. Gathering together as a body is what is going to be necessary for us to stand firm, necessary for us to rejoice in the Lord, necessary to remember that God is at hand. And so we will be able to guard our hearts because God is at hand who subjects all things to himself. And so gathering together helps us rejoice and helps one another rejoice in the Lord as we remember God's good works. So when others turn away, stand firm in the Lord by imitating the faithful and rejoicing in our certain future with Christ. And let's look at this, these last two verses, the, verses 8 and 9, where, where Paul empowers them to endure. Paul writes this in verses 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So remembering the cross of Christ, standing firm together in unity, Paul then empowers the Philippian Christians to endure life by looking at the work of God. Right? There's this entire list of things that Paul calls us to fill our minds and to fill our hearts with and to meditate on these things that are worthy of thinking about from God. And so if we want to influence our actions the most, it will be by influencing what we think about most. Our actions 
are the results of what we believe. And so in a world of stress, Paul says, remember everything that is true. In a world hiding the truth, remember what is honorable. In a world full of injustice, fix your mind on things that are just. In a world of degrading others, meditate on things that are lovely. In a world that, that screams negative, remember things that are commendable and excellent. The things that are worthy of praise and all the rest. Paul says to think on them and to fill our minds with them. Remember things like, like Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Well, friends, not only are all the gifts of God the, the things that we should be thinking about, but, but do you realize who fulfills that entire list there of everything that is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and is excellent and worthy of praise? Do you know who fits the bill for that description? It is no one better than Christ. All those things should lead us ultimately to God and his work through Christ for us. And so the more that we fill our minds with these truths, the more we will stand firm in the Lord. So friends, what do you think about? Like literally, what are things that fill your mind? See, the things that we let replay like movies in our mind over and over on repeat are the things that reveal how we trust the Lord or don't trust the Lord. And so Paul closes this section the very way he began it with a call of one another faith. Each of us should have a Paul and a Timothy in our lives. We should be imitating someone else in our lives in the Christian faith and then also discipling others in our lives. We should be working in unity together side by side for the advancement of the gospel together. Brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is an imitating faith. The Christian faith cannot be me and Jesus alone. Our Christian lives are to be examples, not perfect, but real examples of faithfully following, imitating Christ. And the things that we have learned and received and heard and seen in faithful brothers and sisters as they follow Jesus, let us also follow and find the peace of God as we stand together. So when others turn away, Stand firm in the Lord by imitating the faithful and rejoicing in our certain future with Christ.
friends standing firm doesn't happen in our own strength. It doesn't happen in our own might, but by the graces of God that he has placed in our lives. Let, let us use the grace of God's people, the hope of our Savior Jesus, and rejoicing in the great things that God has done. Let us use those things so that we can stand firm in the Lord. In fact, let's spend just a couple moments now responding to God, responding to His Word by saying, Lord, what do I need to do to rejoice more in Your work? What do I need to do so I'm not having a gospel drift away from the cross? What do I need to do this week so the cross of Christ doesn't sound foolish, but feels like a balm to our soul? Let's spend a few moments responding to God. You're welcome to come and, and pray at the front. You're able to respond where you're at, but we are all called to respond. Let's, let's respond to God, and I'll close us in prayer, and the band will lead us in another song. God, forgive us for thinking that we have more things to grumble about than things to rejoice in. God, forgive us for filling our minds and our hearts with things that have no need, things that are not true or honorable or just or pure or lovely or commendable or excellent. God, forgive us for thinking we don't need your body in our Christian lives. Oh Lord, would you by your spirit and with these other means of grace, Lord, would you help us to practice things that we see that are good in others as they follow you? Lord, would what is true and right and lovely and commendable, would, would, would those things cause us to rejoice in a way that is greater than even the temptations and troubles that we face this week? God, would you help us to stand firm in the Lord? Would you help us to remember our citizenship in heaven as we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who promises to transform us to be like his glorious body? God, thank you that Jesus is able to, to subject all things to himself. Help us to faithfully follow him, we pray in Christ's name. Friends, what great hope we have that our citizenship is in heaven. And therefore we await our Savior, who is Christ Jesus the Lord, who promises that he will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body. And until that day, we await the Savior. And so we hear our benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5 that says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day.